Richard, man, thank you. It's been too long since we've spoken. How are you? I'm fine, Patrick. How are you doing? Thanks for including me in this. Ah, things are good here. It's a beautiful fall, and Sonoma County's not on fire, so I have a lot to be happy about. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess I followed that on the internet, but are uh, you in Northern California someplace? Sonoma County. Yeah, it's a pretty special place. We should get you and Deb out here for a visit. That would be great. I don't really know the area, so uh, someday uh, we'll uh, we'll hook up. I know cool. some dirt roads you'd like. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, the crash, as I mentioned before, is about those incidents where we've uh, probably gone down and hit the ground, but we got something out of it. There was a silver lining, a lesson learned. What's your story? Well, I had thought about it a bit, and I haven't had too many crashes that have sidelined me. I haven't had too many where I've walked away with a an injury that uh, required uh, like long rest or physical therapy. But there was this one time that I, and I'm going to say this right up front, I am a little foggy on the math. I think it was 2001 or 2002. Deb and I had, you know, just recently uh, returned from a long bicycle trip in Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was carrying a lot of fitness. I was still kind of racing road uh, regularly then. Um and I was in good shape, you know, uh, physically at least. Mm-hmm. And um, I made a turn out of uh, my driveway and got to the corner in a little Chester, Connecticut, made a right-hand turn to start my my ride. And um, uh, there was a little bit of a climb up West Main Street. And before I knew it, I was on the ground. And what had happened was this road that I had been on thousands of times, you know, I wasn't more than like 200 yards from home. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of a sudden, like this guy behind me lost me in the sun glare. I guess it would have been in the middle afternoon or late afternoon. Mm -hmm. And um, he just drove right into me and I had never been hit by a car. So he stopped his his child, his son told him that he hit somebody because he didn't even see me. And he didn't feel me, but I was kind of lying on the ground right next to uh, actually where the firehouse was in town. Like we have a volunteer fire department. So if I had to go down any place, that's probably a good place because that's where they keep the, um, (laughs) you know, the medical stuff. The knowledgeable people. Yeah, well, it was volunteer, so like nobody was on on duty. But uh, to get to the crash part of it, I was in some serious pain. Uh, trying to figure out what to do with myself because I know from like subsequent uh, <laughs> incidents that involves cars that you really don't want anybody moving anything so that when the police come around and do a report, they could see you know who was where. Mm-hmm. But um, I tried to get onto the sidewalk. I think people knew me from town. You know, saw that there was this big commotion like within eyesight of. Uh, the uh, stop sign at the corner, and uh, before I knew it, there's like a lot of tumult. So, um, you know, they they eventually called an ambulance. I, I ended up in the emergency room, and um, the 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 result of being hit was that I had to sit on the couch for roughly three months healing. I had a broken. I think it was. Tibula. Is that the small Tib- bone? Tibia? In the, uh, I think so, leg? yeah. It, 
it was either the tibia or the fibula. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it shows you how, how much time has passed and how important this thing was to my life. But the, the, the most of the pain that I was taking um, drugs for was because I had probably the world's most severe ankle sprain from how I was... Um, you know, pinned under the car for like a split second. Oof. So the, the the prednisone or whatever it was they were giving me um, was mainly for the pain of the, the ankle while it was healing, not, you know, for the broken bones. So that crash uh, was kind of a, well, you know, I guess in a, in a way a, a life-changing moment for me because it was the first time in like decades that I wasn't riding regularly because I couldn't. Um, I enjoyed the convalescent moments in my apartment. Well, we had a house, but the shop was on the first floor and the uh, right uh, apartment was on the second floor. I think you stayed overnight there at the same place Yeah. once uh, years earlier. So I, I kind of enjoyed it. You know, I can, even when I kind of went outside like a couple of months later to, you know, hobble around, you know, with a cane or crutches, I, I kind of like liked being taken care of. I kind of got used to that. And, you know, while I didn't really look forward to getting hit by a car anytime <laughs> soon after that, I, I kind of liked being a patient. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's that. And eventually I had to kind of get back into life. So the, uh, you with me so far, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So in, in the course of everything, my bike kind of got totaled enough that I needed to, you know, like lawyer up. And even though it was like 2001, 2002 and I was an adult, I didn't really have a lawyer. I never needed a lawyer for anything. And, um, I was still kind of living perhaps like a, a grown up adolescent who just, you know, goes from week to week or month to month. But I found a guy who, uh, was a friend of, one of my classmates in my scholastic years, and he was up in Hartford, and we ended up suing the uh, driver or his insurance company, uh, not not to you know end up becoming like rich, but simply to become whole, which is a term I, I don't think I've ever heard before. Yes. Uh, so I I ended up like spending roughly a year or eighteen months or so waiting for everybody to settle their claims. And uh, I walked away from the well, from the incident with roughly, I don't know, five or five thousand or $5,500 after all the bills were paid, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, hospital bills, emergency room bills, ambulance bills, uh, lawyer bills, whatever. So um, all of this happened at a time when my life at the bench was also kind of in transition because I spent most of the 90s a little bit disenchanted with the way things were going for people in my trade, meaning frame building. Mm-hmm. And I, wa- I watched as the um, momentum away from steel to non-ferrous materials uh, was occurring at a pretty fast pace. Yeah. I, I kind of watched as the bigger companies were getting better at bike making and the smaller companies or like the, the, the independent guys like myself were either like quitting or turning it into a hobby or going bankrupt or sleeping on their mother's couch or whatever. 
Mm-hmm. But I was still I was still committed. I had never thought about like you know a plan B. But in the middle of it, I, I kind of realized that over a ten or fifteen year period that. Uh, most of my material suppliers were, were no longer innovating for, for for people like like me, and I say that in air quotes for the frame mm-hmm. builder community. Right. So I had it. I had it in mind to um, see what it took to make my own parts, and by that I mean you know going to Taiwan with with kind of like an art file or some samples and saying to a casting house, uh, I want to make this, you know, a set of lugs or a four crown or who knows what. Mm-hmm. And and in my mind, um, frame builders simply took material that was available to them and elaborated it to give it some kind of personal style and sense. Uh, The big guys like, I don't know, Colnago or Bianchi or whoever, they were the ones that had the revenue streams and the working capital to cast their own parts. So for me to do is like, I'm fucking nuts. Like they're, they're gonna laugh. They're gonna laugh at me because you know you're a little guy. Even though at that point I was in the business for thirty, thirty-two years, mm-hmm. I'm still like a frame builder, not a manufacturer. However, um, to my delight, the people at Longshen, uh, who uh, who I kind of knew from like dealing with Grant and Riverdale, with the lugs I designed for those guys and. You know, for some other projects I worked on, mm-hmm. you know, for other people, that, well, you know, maybe this is possible. So they came back with a quote and said, yeah, you know, the shapes that you had carved up, because at that point I wasn't working with, you know, computers or um, solid works or 3D <laughs> modeling. Right. Uh, I, sent a, I sent a sample set of carved lugs over and I said, this is what I want. I simply want them to be like oversized, not like you know, 80s dimensions. So they wrote me back and they gave me a quote and I felt like, wow, um, I can be a player. So with the money that I kind of walked away with, uh, despite the fact that I couldn't rise for three months and like I lost a lot of time getting back on the horse and people were waiting for their bikes, even though I didn't have a long wait list, uh, then as like I did like 10 years after that, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot going on. So I still didn't have my own, like, uh, you know, I couldn't pay myself because I wasn't working. So I threw all the money that I had from the settlement into my first um, set of lugs. And while I I was watching it all unfold and becoming uh, kind of like I said, a player, I thought like, wow, you know, like, what I want to do is I want to reverse engineer this environment that I'm kind of trapped in. Because nobody is making cool stuff, you know, for guys like me. Mm-hmm. So if I can somehow like spin this into a um, a product line, hey, why not? You know. So eventually, after the first set of lugs came out, I started doing a four crown to work with them. Then I decided to do another set of lugs, and before I knew it, I thought like I got to do a bottom bracket, uh, and then you know two, three, four years go by and I'm just like throwing all sorts of like money at Longshan and, you know, doing new uh, parts and then uh, put it on my website and like broadcast it because the internet at that point was still kind of new to guys like us. Mm-hmm. 
I ended up like, you know, uh, blabbing about it, putting it on forums, putting it on the listos, and getting myself a nice little um, customer base of people that were, uh, who, who didn't really have, you know, the resources or the uh, connections that I did, and they simply wanted to get cool lugs and cast pieces so that they too could build their frames their way. Because at that point, most of us were living on crumbs because, like I said before, there weren't people like innovating or replenishing the supply for the frame building community. Everything was made for manufactured goods. Uh, nobody at that point was making their own forks anymore, which is like, you know, a separate conversation. Sure. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to try to be the guy who at least kept it going for a little bit longer. And, I, and to this day, you know, like I still, I, I mean, I have a, like a big, page on my site devoted to materials and kits and shit like that. Mm -hmm. But there must be, um, at Longshan, they they talk about it in terms of mold tools, uh, M-O-L-D or M-O-U-L-D tools. Mm -hmm. And for every every cast part that you have needs its own tool. Right. And um, I've never seen the tools. I've seen photographs of them. But they're these these big, um, well, they're not too big, but they're heavy aluminum pieces that have a right and a left or a top and a bottom with openings so that the material could be like, you know, poured in and whatever the process is, these these are the starting points from which rugs and shapes and dropouts and other things are produced. So I own about 31 or 32 different tools that live in Taiwan at the Longshan. Oh, Longshan was consumed, I think, by Tangay uh, a year or two ago. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure, like, you know, what brand owns what anymore. But when I need stuff, um, I just get in touch with Tom Gay, tell him which tool I want, how many pieces I want. And then a few months later, you know, a few hundred more bottom brackets or dropout sets come out. Uh, and I put them on my site, sell them to other people. And my my goal, like I said, was to be my own supplier and also to be a supplier to my peers. Um in the later years, like the teens, it hasn't been as cool as it was in the first decade of doing this because there are fewer frame builders, I think, doing this full time. And mm-hmm. many of them have either veered into TIG welding or fillet raising. So or all sorts of disc breaks and like all sorts of like industrial made uh, decisions that, um, uh, for, for which I don't make parts. So right. uh, if, if anybody wants to make a traditional oversized or uber oversized frame, you know, I, I got a whole menu of stuff and I I don't know if I would have entered the fray anyway, mm-hmm. but having that extra five thousand dollars after like all the lawyers were back in their cars and driving away from my house uh was kind of where um this little empire of mine uh began and um the empire kind of began because you know the sun was setting and the guy didn't see me and I was on the floor so uh, in a nutshell that, that's kind of like the silver lining that's amazing um, I'm happy with, with the way it ended up I have five six different lug sets uh, two types of dropouts each of which come in three different angles I got like all sorts of stuff and you know none of it might have happened if uh, if, I, if I didn't like go out the house that day and ended up on the floor like, you know, 45 seconds later you know, in an ambulance like 
a half an hour after that. Well, so. you know, that is, that is a, I'd say, a classic example of lemonade from lemons. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, well, yeah, I haven't used that term often uh, myself, but I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just, just remarkable. I mean, uh, it's so neat to hear that you did get something so wonderful out, uh, out of a completely uh, yucky situation. Yeah, thank you. Um, at the end of the day, and I haven't really put this episode onto any microscope, but since we're talking, if I didn't really have the, if I didn't take the initiative to get the parts made. And I ended up with like an extra $5,000, which like I said, back then in 2001 was like a million dollars to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what I would have done with it. I probably would have, you know, pilfer, uh, pissed it away on uh, just everyday stuff. Very cool. Oh, Richard, yeah. this was exactly the sort of thing I was hoping for in our chat. I had no idea where it was going to go, but uh, yeah. I, I, I trusted you and your storytelling to get us there. Awesome. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, reach out to me, and uh, it's kind of cool hearing a, a human being again. So uh, th- thanks for um, for calling up. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I, I've missed it as well. <laughs>